Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Mind. We do this while sweating in our homes without AC. Uh, Today we're talking season two, episode 21. Open season. Open season, much like my tits right now. Because I am shirtless. Oh my god. Guys, Abby is in New York, so she is feeling the heat that I am feeling right now, and we both don't have AC on, and we're suffering. Yeah, I guess you could almost say this is my fun fact. I am recording with my boyfriend's whole recording setup, because I am visiting him in Brooklyn, and... um. This is, I guess, how he records genre blind. You should all give that a listen, but I am sweating. And so if I sound a little different, it's because I'm using his microphone setup and not mine. And I'm using his, like, noise-canceling headphones. And, like, not being able to hear myself talk is really weird. So, shout out, you're closer than usual, but you're still pretty far. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not quite. We're six in the same state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're we're like a solid two, two and a half hours away now from each other. <laughs> One day we'll record in the same building. <laughs> we will. Also, you guys will hear some fun, like New York City sounds in the background. Yeah. Do you this hear the, the indigenous? Do you hear the indigenous bird right now? Yeah. It's- <laughs> Incredible. I'm going to have so much fun editing this. Also, I love the ones that are like, whoop, whoop, the, like the yeah. low ones that they have in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, my, my fun fact um, is that Abby talked up Twilight so much that I was like, maybe I should reread it. And I'm loving it. And I sounds shitty to be like, I don't have time to read, but like I don't. But I love listening to audiobooks and podcasts. So I listened to Twilight in about three days. Yeah, you got through it fast. All I consumed was Twilight. I didn't listen to my true crime podcast. I didn't listen to This American Life. I just listened to Twilight. We're not over here saying that it's the pinnacle of like whatever, but it's so much fun. I feel like when I was growing up, the emphasis was like on like deceased straight white males literature and like holding all of the modern literature to the same acclaim. And I'm just so over listening to straight white men. Like I tried to listen to Motherless Brooklyn, which is a great book, but I was just like, no, I can't do this. I'm going to listen to Twilight. (laughs) I am like so mad at myself. Well, I need to be gentle with myself, but I'm so mad at myself when I was like in high school And I just, like, had so much internalized misogyny and was like, it's a bad book. It's about romance. I am, like, in the process slowly because I also am just slow at reading now, despite having a degree in English. (laughs) 
like making my way through Eclipse. And I'm like, this is so much fun. Like in the movie, I've seen all the movies numerous times. I like made, I had a little like quarantine Twilight themed birthday last year. And like dressed up as Bella and made my boyfriend dress up as Edward and my roommate was Alice. And we like recreated the like baseball scene from the first movie. And we will, we will post those pictures with Abby's permission when this episode drops. <laughs> yes, we can do that. And the TikTok we made. Um, but it was like, it's so much fun. And I just think people need to chill out and realize that just because, you know, it's not Shakespeare redefining, like, you know, the English speaking language and writing doesn't mean it's without value. Okay, um, we need to do our disclaimer. So our disclaimer is that we are in no way, shape or form associated with criminal minds. Our, our rating criteria? Yes. All right. And the rating criteria, as always, as we all know, is the criminal or serial killer, the forensics and context, the character development slash character arcs, script writing, and the background characters. All right. You ready? Yes. This is open season. We open in the woods of Boise, Idaho, the Boise National Forest specifically. I think it's Boise. Boise? Boise? I have no idea. I think it's Boise. Shit. I'm sorry, Idaho. Sorry, Idaho. All right. So we see a man dirtied and desperate running through the woods past some deer. And then we see two men in camouflage with backpacks and arrows walking together. These two seem comfortable in the woods, uh, whereas the other man running trips and falls and his nose is bloodied. So we realize that these are two brothers that are walking together and they realize they are near a deer. And the older looking one of the two gives instructions and encouragement to the other one who's a little younger looking and meeker. And he's giving instructions on how to like shoot and kill the deer. The younger one shoots and misses but his older brother um doesn't and we see that instead of the deer that they were shooting at it was the man who was running that they're both shooting at and he is mcfreaking dead and they seem proud of their work but they walk away so cut and we now see the ladies of the bau at a bar there is a man who is hitting on Prentice and saying he's an FBI agent. But do you see? Do you see what they did here? We went from one hunting ground to another. Whoa, I didn't see that. Oh, shit. And only, you know, this one doesn't quite feel as quite sinister. Hence, you know, there's no shaky cam going on like we had in the opening. Um, but my favorite part of this is when JJ is like, what department are you in? And the man is like, that's classified. So Emily and the others are playing along with it for a moment. Uh, and all of them being like, oh my God, do you have a badge and a gun? And he's like, yeah. And Prentice is like, so can we see it? And he's like, oh, oh, I don't have my badge. And Prentice is like, oh, does it look like this? And like pulls out her badge. Followed by Garcia and JJ who pull out their badges. So he's humiliated and walks away. 
To which Garcia says, I am so blogging about this later. We see the prey have tricked the predator, and I wonder if this is going to parallel what happens in the main story. As this man leaves, JJ's phone rings, and of course they all have to be whisked away to work because these, these people never get a day off, it seems. Oh, also, Garcia has a blog? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I want to know what Garcia blogs about. Well, apparently she's putting Emily in her top eight, whatever that means. I know, like, what would she even, like, be allowed to blog about, given how classified her work probably is? So JJ, back at the BAU, JJ briefs them, and basically a year ago, uh, victims and their vehicles went missing. Um, They were all found, like, 20 miles away in remote Idaho. Uh, And the autopsies of these victims show that they had similar wounds, like these little tiny punctures. No bullets were found. So they're a little stumped as what it, you know, could have been that killed them with these, like, clean puncture wounds that, like, had a clean exit and entry. And I'm like, guys, clearly it is a bow. Like, it's, like, oh, you're in the FBI? <laughs> like, clearly it's a bow. And they're like, what could it be? Like, would it be ballistics? And they're like, no, those would have, like, been inflamed. These are all clean. Guys, watch Lord of the Rings, I swear. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, it also appears that these uh, victims were out in the wilderness for at least six to seven days before being killed. And they also noticed that given that the way that they were dressed, they had not intended to be going into the woods in the first place. They realized that this is probably a serial, a serial killer, and this serial killer with has no sexual preferences because there's men and women involved in this, to which Reed says, that's a first. And I'm like, is it, though? Is it, though? I don't it's think it not. is. It's very it's totally not. It's totally not. So they take note that these victims have no defense wounds, but it looks like they were scrambling through the woods, like running into trees, losing items of clothing while running. And Gideon is like, there's only one thing you run that hard for. Your life. So the theme music happens, and then the quote that, you know how they always like open and close on a quote? The quote is, one man's wilderness is another man's theme park by Anonymous. <laughs> I The quotes fill me with so much anger and cringiness every time that I just block it out. Like, after they misattributed a Shakespeare quote, I cannot handle it. Also, like, what writer was like, let me slip that in? I think that, or that maybe they're like, we're really trying to find a quote. Why would we quote the most dangerous game, what this episode is clearly based off of? Why, why don't we just make make up a fucking random ass quote and attribute it to... Actually, it's not anonymous, it's attributed to unknown. I can't. Anyway. <laughs> Next, Garcia phones in and says that Spokane has had 10 missing people, all of them who are in their 20s. Always in the spring, and all of their cars have gone missing as well. And that's within, like, I think the last five years. So the team splits up between Idaho and Washington upon arrival. 
JJ, Hotch, and Reed go to the deputy's office to discuss how they still don't know it's arrows that are killing people. But, you know, they realize there's always two punctures in the body. So not just like the entry and exit, there's two separate punctures. And then we also learn that the sheriff just got promoted to this position. So like JJ goes with him to tell the family that their son, Alex Harris, the body they had just found has been killed. Sheriff Raymond is hot. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's not bad to look at. So they arrive at the father, Timothy Harrison's house, and we see like little mini flashbacks of JJ giving the sheriff tips on how to navigate giving him this awful news because he's never done this before. Um, And it definitely like pulls on your heartstrings a little bit. But it's also interesting because Timothy is in like a lot of denial about his son being dead, but like immediately switches into the past tense when talking about him which I just think is weird. Next, we are in the woods. So Morgan and Apprentice go to Idaho to explore the woods, the like forest these people have been in. And they meet up with the head ranger, Lizzie Evans. And she, and she's hot. She is hot. Yeah, I knew you were going to say it, which is why I didn't. She's hot. She walks them through the woods, and they realize that given the crime scene where Alex was found, there must have been two unsubs, and they were using hunting tactics to kill him. Additionally, they must have been, like, extraordinarily familiar with the woods to be able to navigate them with the sophistication that they have. Gideon rolls up to a hunting supply store, at least I believe that was what it is, and a child gives a performance of a lifetime. Yes! Telling Gideon, like, all the groups are filling up and, quote, you must like the challenge of a bear. If you think this guy looks bad, you should see the driver. He needed ten stitches. <laughs> you better hurry. All the groups are filling up. You like the challenge of a bear, don't you? Actually, I prefer picking up my meat at a grocery store. Um, and it's a very it is a very challenging moment, theatrically speaking. Um, this this <laughs> kid is not a good actor. Um, but this kid isn't just here to make you question the casting director's choices and integrity. You like the challenge of a bear, don't you? Uh, this kid also tells Gideon that the air about how arrows um, and how they are effective <laughs> uh, for hunting, and Gideon is like, "Oh my god." And he calls Hotch and Reed and tells them about the arrows and then explains that he believes that these victims have been caught and released into the woods to be hunted like wild animals. Cut, and we now see a young woman in a little zippy red car that she calls Ruby driving towards Spokane. Spokane. Spokanani, I don't know. And uh, basically, her car battery dies and she tries calling roadside assistance. I don't even know, but, like, as she's calling, an auto service truck rolls up, and it sounds like she had already tried calling them before. Um, And so she pulls over and is, like, relieved to see this auto service. She calls 911 to, like, when she should be calling AAA. AAA is who you call, and then, yeah, they do, they send, they, like, they find where you are, and then they, like, put the bid out, and whichever local trucking, you know, um 
like a mechanic service is around will come and pick you up. So a lot of times, like you don't know who it is. So that to me was realistic because you don't know how how fast it will be and you don't know what company it will be. But she calls 911. Why is she calling 911 and not AAA? I have no idea. I mean, like on one hand to play devil's advocate, if you call... 911 and the call drops they're still gonna like you know look and go find you i think they didn't want to pay for the rights to have triple a so she calls and the auto service rolls up and she seems relieved to see them two men come out of the auto service car and like approach her and she uh, she she has good instincts which i guess makes sense because we talk about instincts a lot in this episode uh, she immediately gets bad vibes from them, and you can see her get pretty distressed, and then it, like, cuts. So we cut, and we see Hotch and Gideon cutting between the two of them, presenting an exhaustive profile to everyone. So the profile, two offenders in good physical condition. They have to be fit to make it through this terrain. And additionally, no one would go that deep into the woods without backup. I'm like, uh, we're going to find out that that's not true with my deep dive, but go off. (laughs) Uh, Like most partnerships, one will be weak and the other strong. Jesus, haven't we heard that a million times? Because they haven't shown any sexual interest in victims. They may be developmentally prepubescent or they could be related. They're like, yeah, like you wouldn't be you know, displaying sexual blah, blah in front of your family. And I'm like, "Mm, sounds fake. There definitely have been some murderous brothers and siblings and shit, but go off. If they are related, they could have an us versus them mentality. While most hunters put animals out of their misery, these two have no mercy and enjoy watching their victims die slowly. These past victims were young, smart, and healthy. They survived off of their instincts for days, so they were either approached by these unsubs in an unthreatening way, or the offenders waited for a moment of weakness to attack. These hunters are very seasoned and very efficient. They have chosen a bow because it requires a lot of precision, and they plan a lot of this with care. So we cut to the sheriff's station and a woman shows up informing them that her friend Bobby never showed up to visit her or stay with her. Um, it is the same. And she like brings a photo and we see that it's the same woman whose car broke down. And according to her friend, Bobby had a big job interview that she was really expi- excited for. So she wouldn't have missed that. And the sheriff is like, she's only been missing since last night. Are we sure it's related? But Hotch is like, I am not going to just fuck around and find out. We're going to go look for her. (laughs) Uh, Additionally, uh, I would encourage everyone who's of age to take a shot every time they say something along the lines of, it's their hunting season. You like the challenge of a bear, don't you? So we cut and we now see Bobby gagged and tied in the back of the car and the audio guys like clearly snatched her. More than a feeling as blasting on the speakers, which is pretty choice. Um, They eventually park and pull over and take her out of the car. And then they cut the ties that are on her ankles and wrists and tell her to run. And that's after pulling out of the, you know, bow and arrows and letting her see and her realize what's going to happen. So she 
darts away and they're like cackling. They're like, ha ha ha. Yeah, she she's not trying to fuck around and find out, Abby. Next, we see Bobby running through the woods and she runs to a group of campers and she's screaming for help. Before many of them can really even do anything, one of the guys who is just simply standing there gets an arrow through his chest and McFreaking dies. And so does uh, one of the women who I'm assuming was his wife, which I guess works out. And then the rest of them, which is two more campers, go running off with um, Bobby. The guy is really like, we should stay away from her. We don't know what she did. Why are they chasing her? The woman's like, no, we should stick together. And it's drama, drama, drama. So uh, cut and we see that Garcia has located three different hunting supply stores that sell the specific bows and arrows that these unsubs seem to be using. So the BAU goes to one of them and see if they can get any information on who buys these arrows. And the lady at the store says that there are two brothers who've been coming in for years. One of them is painfully shy and still hasn't like warmed up to her despite having been going there for all these years. She says that she's pretty sure that their last name was Mulford and that their uncle, who passed away fairly recently, his first name was Joe for Joseph. So Garcia does some research and Joe Mulford has a stellar past. Just kidding. He was a total dick. Uh, He had multiple assault and batteries on his record, and apparently he used to own a service station, like a vehicle service station. But he passed on that station to his nephews, John and Paul, before he passed. Turns out that this service station, yeah, it's like super close to where these victims have gone missing on the highway. So we're in the woods now and it's getting dark and Bobby and the couple are like huddling together for warmth and the brothers are watching them from a distance but decide to wait until morning to shoot them because it'll be more fun when they aren't expecting it. In the morning, there is an official missing persons report on the two couples that Bobby encountered. Gideon and Prentice and the rest of the team find the campsite that the two couples had been at. And everything looks as if it had been, like, shredded with knives and dumped. And they're like, oh, so this is so that if anyone stumbled upon the supplies, it would be worthless. Which is so fucking fucked. Like, they went that far to be like, oh, here's a campsite. Let's destroy it. Uh, There is blood on the ground, but they cannot find where the bodies are. And then blood drips onto Prentice's head and she looks up. And the bodies are strung up in the trees above. And that was horrifying. Also, like, that must have wasted a lot of the hunter's time to do this. I guess they wanted to give him a little bit of a heads up or head start, I guess. More fun. I don't know. Well, we see Bobby and the couple running, but the guy quickly gets an arrow through his chest. So he's a goner, but he was kind of a dick. So I don't really feel like spending much time on that. Oh, my God. And when Hotch and Reed and the sheriff go to check on the service station the brothers own, they see that it isn't open or operating at the moment. What they do find is that Bobby's car is there. They find a lot more cars, uh, one that clearly belonged to Alex Harris, and then even more. So they're like, there must have been a lot more victims, which is starting to remind me of Wolf Creek. Yes! Reed goes inside the station. And he finds a cabinet full of driver's license, which is horrifying. 
the first one that having expired in 1980 before the boys were even born. So they must have been keeping the family tradition alive. Oh, God. We also learn that they were orphaned and abandoned as kids and then went to go, you know, be raised by their uncle and they never went to school. So their only socialization was the patrons of the service station. So there's, you know, a whole cocktail of things going on. We cut into the woods and we see that Bobby and the other woman are like trying to kind of like outsmart and maneuver the hunters. It's unclear what their thought process here was, but they had a plan where they were going to like distract them or something. But the other woman somehow exposes herself to the hunters and gets shot. But right after being shot, Bobby rushes up and stabs Johnny, the younger hunter, in the chest repeatedly with a knife that she had taken from the woman's dead husband. As vindicating as it is to see her stab him, this is also where we can see how close, like, the bond between these brothers are, because the older brother is like, I don't know, I don't even know how to talk about it, but you can see that they cared about each other a lot. Yeah, like, the the older brother is freaked out, like, you know, he he immediately, like, stops hunting Bobby and is like, I gotta, like, I gotta take care of my little bro. We see that he's, like, lit a fire and, like, is trying to be, like, he's, like, you're going to be okay and everything. He's, like, oh, okay, I'm going to go take care of her. Then I'll come back and, like, you know, help you. Which, like, yeah, yeah, I guess is fine. But, like, I would have assumed that the priority would have been on his brother. I think it's kind of, like, a sign of, like, devolving in a way for the older brother whose name I can't remember. Because, like, very clearly he knows setting a fi- a huge fire is going to attract attention. Or maybe he's worried that Bobby will escape and, ex- like, you know, turn them in. I have no idea. Yeah, but, like, he, he definitely seems to be, like, panicking and not thinking straight. And and I, th- I really think that that helps Bobby, like, finish him off. Yeah, so we see that the older brother has lit a fire. And so the BAU is like, hmm, smoke, and, like, swoops in. So they arrive and they see the younger brother, Johnny, on the ground, covered in blood, still alive. And they call for, like, an evac because they think that he is a potential victim. Despite wearing Hunter's clothing and having a backpack. But it's just like, it's like, are you, are you, like, we, we already have established so much that these victims were always wearing casual clothing without anything with them. Gideon is, like, sus, but starts, like, talking to Johnny, and Johnny's being really pathetic, and it's, like, kind of sad in a way. Sad. Yeah, the man who did this to you is still in the woods. <laughs> we have a team of FBI agents looking for him. It's all right. They got an order to shoot if necessary. No, it's okay. No. It's okay. It's okay. You are no. safe. You are safe here. Don't shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? Johnny, you need to tell us where Paul is before it's too late. Just tell me where he is. Tell me where he is. And then Paul is like, we cut to Paul, the other brother, and he's irate, like looking for Bobby. Um, And Bobby is hiding in a tree because somehow she magically knows that he will definitely come walk right below her. And so when he does, because of course that was going to happen, she jumps on him and stabs him in the back. 
um, but then runs away because both with both Johnny and Paul, she like didn't think to do like, you know, a double tap finishing stab on like, I don't know, their neck. She's she's not a she's not a killer, Abby. She's just like a you know average girl. <laughs> yes. Um, so she runs away, but he's still in pursuit despite having been stabbed, and he shoots at her but misses. Before he can shoot again, the BAU swarms him, and Bobby survives. The episode ends with Prentice having like trouble reconciling how they like the BAU is any different from these hunters while on the plane. We hunt people every day. Like, how are we any different? And Morgan's like, we are. And they're like, okay. And that is the <laughs> end of the episode. Yeah. Also, there is this moment where, like, when, when Bobby is saved, where she, ha- I can't remember if she is like an I, if she has like an I one moment, which is what the girl in the next episode has. Like, it just occurred to me now. She's like, how does it feel now, you son of a bitch? Looks like I had the m- more fun or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and you could really draw parallels between this episode and the next one, which I guess we should cover in the next one. But yeah. I don't know how I feel about it, about that mocking a person when they're dying, but they also were literally trying to murder her. So I don't know. It, it, to me, it, it feels a little corny to me. But I also understand the vindication. This episode and the next one, I also like, you know, we're we're both horror movie fanatics and both of them have like horror movie premises, 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 premises. <laughs> and there's so many great horror movies where the premise is like the, the people are running through the woods, getting picked off one by one. And I really enjoyed it. And I felt like it was like believable believable for Bobby and I just thought it was like a great episode should I do my deep dive yeah what I really wanted to talk about is the fact that there are so many people missing in like national parks all over America and there's a whole long list and I will link there are actually a couple different lists um, that will link in the notes some of these cases, when you look at the details and you look it up, like there'll be suspects or there'll be things that they think reasonably happened to these people, but they just can't prove it. So I wanted to choose ones where there's less information and less known to try to get the word out because these are still unsolved missing cases. So if you know anything, please contact the authorities and you can go right on the National Park Service's website. And if you have a tip, Submit it there. So, um, Stacy and Aris missing from Yosemite National Park. Date missing July 17th, 1981. She was 14 years old when she went missing. White female, five foot five inches tall, 120 pounds, blonde shoulder length hair. Stacy was last seen while visiting Yosemite National Park with her father and six others. The group reached a cluster of cabins designed for an overnight stay at Sunrise High Sierra Camp. Stacy changed her clothes and left the cabin, carrying her camera so she could photograph the lake. Stacy invited her father to join her, but he declined. And an elderly man from the group went with her instead. They went downhill towards the lake with the rest of the group watching them from above. 
they saw Stacy's companion sit down. Stacy walked for- further towards the lake, went behind some trees, and disappeared from sight. After a few minutes, when she didn't return, the other group members went to look for her. An extensive search of the park involving helicopters, dogs, and dozens of volunteers turned up no further indication of her whereabouts. The only trace ever found was uh, her camera lens, which was found around the tree-lined area where she was last seen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, literally, they watched her (laughs) disappear. That's so scary. I've got two more. This one is Timothy Barnes, again from Yosemite. Date missing July 5th, 1988. He was 25 years old when he went missing. White male, six foot three inches tall, 180 pounds, dark brown to black, straight hair, worn that was uh, worn parted in the middle with a brown mustache. Barnes was a resident of Cucamonga, California in 1988. He left Tenaya Lakes near Highway 120 east of the Tioga Road in California at approximately 9 a.m. He planned to hike the Murphy Creek Trailhead to the Polydomes Lakes in Yosemite, which are located approximately three miles from the Tenaya Lakes. He was supposed to return by 4.30 p.m. but never showed up and has never been heard from again. His friends reported him as a missing person to the Park Service Rangers the following morning. An extensive search of the surrounding areas failed to produce any evidence of his whereabouts. He was declared legally dead on July 19, 1990, two years after his disappearance, and his body has never been found. And we come to the one that I am most pissed off about. This is David Paul Morrison, also from Yosemite National Park. Guys, let's never go to Yosemite National Park. Missing May 25th, 1998. Morrison was was 28 years old when he went missing. White male, 5 foot 9 inches tall, 150 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes. Pretty sexy if you look at that picture of him. He was last seen in Little Yosemite Valley uh, at 7.15 a.m. He disappeared while hiking to the Half Dome. Although he was an experienced hiker, he wasn't equipped for an overnight trip at the time of his disappearance. Neither was he dressed for the cold or wet weather. He is presumed to have gotten lost or injured in the park. And I am saltiest about this one. Because there was bad weather when he went missing and it like continued to be bad weather. And if you look at the limited articles available about this case, there were so many mishaps with people getting hurt. But essentially, because there were other people that were trapped and they thought that he was more experienced, they decided to go and help the trapped people who were trapped up at El Capitan instead of focusing on trying to find him. And he has never been found. So there are links in our notes and uh, don't ever go hiking or go to Yosemite National Park. I go hiking all the time. Listen, a plan, a real plan of mine with my husband when we retired was to see all the national parks. And after today, bitch, strike it from the list. I'm not going. 
Oh my goodness. Or at least don't go alone. <sighs> Should we rate this episode? Yes, please. Criminal and serial killer. I really liked this. Me too. The thing is, it's fucking terrifying. This episode, writing-wise, didn't lean into the fear as much. I mean, I think a lot of that's because this is about the BAU trying to find them, but it was terrifying. Like, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, it's literally the plot of so many horror movies, this, like the, you know, being chased through the woods, like this, you know, it's, the woods is terrifying when you're not prepared to be in the woods. And I think, like, in terms of the, like, the two brothers, I found them to be the most believable team of killers that we've seen so far. This felt like an actual relationship, whereas some of the other partnerships we see, it feels very transactional. Um, I'd be comfortable with giving it a 20, but we yeah, don't have to. Yeah, I'll give it a 20. If you think that's... Okay. Forensics and contact. screaming? I heard someone oh, it's screaming. Oh, children outside. <laughs> I really like this episode. Me too, but how do they not know about bows and arrows? Okay, I, that's fair. I mean, we could take off points for bows and arrows, but I I totally bought into everything else. But, like, they don't see bows and arrows a lot as, like, weapons, you know? They're used to guns, knives. The bows and arrows and them, like, not realizing that he was the unsub when he's fully wearing, like, hunting clothing. All right, should we give it, like, a 17 or 18? Um, I'm fine with whatever you think. I'm going to give it a 17. Character development and character arcs. We didn't have a lot of like major character development in this episode, which I think is good because we've had so much of it in the past couple episodes. I mean, it's almost like this this category can be flawed because if we we thought the episode was okay and there was nothing noteworthy, we would give it a 10. But I don't want to give it a 10. I want to give it a higher score, even though nothing noteworthy happened. You know what I mean? Want to give it a 14 or 15? Give it a 15. All right. Script writing. I had no complaints except for that, like, little kid. 18. Background characters. They didn't have a lot of time to establish background characters, but I loved the new sheriff. Like we can't, you you can't cover everything in an episode when you're recapping, but we did get to see like some nice moments with him and JJ where we, she was teaching him about telling, making notifications to victims' families. I loved the park, the sexy park ranger. She was great. The lady at the like hunting supply store was great. Also, Heather, who is the the couple that ended up going with Bobby, apparently that actress is the daughter of the director of this episode, which is pretty cool. Oh. A cool moment, I thought, in her character development, because she was married to the shitty guy who died. While he's dying, she pulls his wedding ring off. And I was like, oh. I know. I love that detail. So, like, I again, I think it's she, I think we could give it a 20. Sure. 90. Well, 
thanks for tuning in with us, you guys. I, we hope that uh, it was, there wasn't too much background noise, but we appreciate you sticking with us. And follow us at Unsubs Podcast on all of the social medias. You can buy our merch. We have uh, links in the show notes for all of these things. And you can follow me, yournewapartment.tumblr.com. And if you go hiking, tell people where you're going, go with a buddy, and just keep people updated about your whereabouts. And if you uh, want to follow me in my podcast, you can find me at Between Stage and Screen Podcast on Instagram and all your streaming services.